Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome Barry Tesler to the podcast. Barry is a financial therapist, a mamapreneur, founder of The Art of Money, and she is also an alum graduating with a degree in the somatic psychology department. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm excited to do this with you live. I can actually see you, which is unusual for me. Cool. We get to have that interaction. Mm -hmm. So... Just to start off, tell me about your experience at Naropa. When did you go? What was it like going to a school? Where were you at in your life? What made you want to go? Yeah. Kind of started off. So I had just finished my undergrad at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Okay. In history and women's studies because I really had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. And okay. I really was lost. But I went straight into college after I finished high school, because okay. that's that was that's what just my what parents. People do. That's just what people did yeah. in the north side of Chicago. <laughs> so, if I had other options, or if I could even have known that I could have thought of other options, that mm. would have been great. And then I finished, and everyone that I knew was off getting high level jobs, getting paid really well right out of college. Mm-hmm which just blew my mind because, again, I didn't know what I wanted to do or who I was or what my skill set was. And Mm. so I went to Israel for a year. Okay. And it was to find out who I was, to find out what it meant to be born (laughs) Jewish, to find myself. And I went, and one day I was running on a kibbutz, and all of a sudden I thought that I made up dance movement therapy. So... I had grown up dancing my whole life and I was really into therapy and psychology and had asked my parents at the age of 16 if I could go to therapy. Yeah. They said yes. Okay. And so, you know, in this jog, put those two together and I was like, Mm. dance therapy, I'm going to be a dance therapist. And I really thought I made up an entire field. And soon I left the kibbutz moved to Jerusalem and learned pretty quickly that there were graduate programs in somatic psychology, dance movement therapy. I didn't make anything up, but there was graduate programs and I could go study this. So I left Israel to come back to the States Uh and to audition for Naropa. Mine was a bit of an interview and audition. Yeah. Okay. And got into Naropa Mm -hmm. and started at the age of 24. I was the baby of that crew of those, you know, of my cohort. There were 22, 24 of us. Yeah. I was the baby and I spent the next few years immersed in somatic psychology, dance movement therapy, authentic movement. Mm. And what was also happening at that time, which was really significant for me, was that the boyfriend that I had in Israel, Mm -hmm. who was my lover at the time when I left Israel, he committed suicide. Okay. Sorry. And so I was beginning Naropa in deep grief 
and half in my body, half out, half in this world, half yeah. out. And that was the space I was in as I was in mm. graduate school. I also very had tender. very tender. Yeah. And it was also a five year period where my beloved grandfather had passed away yeah. while I was at Naropa and two of my beloved uncles died of AIDS. So I had a five-year period, and and that was how I began Europa, was losing the four closest men to me in my life. Mm. So I went to graduate school for so many reasons. One is that when I went, asked my parents at 16 if I could go to therapy, they said yes. I wanted to understand myself better. They sent me to a male therapist. Mm And that just didn't work for me as a teenage girl. I was playing so many mind games as a teenager. And I learned that talk therapy wasn't going to work for me. And a male therapist wasn't going to work for me. But it was a beginning. Mm. It was a beginning. Yeah, Yeah. I as a teenager, also would go into my room, shut the door, put on music, Mm. and dance, and dance, and dance, and dance every emotion that I possibly could. I would come out of my room, and then I would be able to articulate what I was feeling. But before that, the feelings were so Mm. overwhelming and so strong. I had that in me. And so that was another reason why I went to graduate school to study somatic psychology was because I knew that I had to learn how to listen to my body again. I was to some degree. I knew that there was so much information there. And I knew that talk therapy at that time was not the road for me. It worked to some degree, but I had so much information, Mm. so much memory, so much trauma, so much grief being held in my body that I needed to learn yeah. um, how to access that. and I love yeah. hearing that too, because there sounds like a component of when it comes to deep feelings and deep emotions in people, there is this sort of unique way of expressing how they feel. And I always feel like deep feelings take a little bit of time to process before you, like you said, articulate what it is you are feeling. Yeah. And the fact that you knew the practice was through dance and other people have through thought, through taking a walk, through chatting with a really good friend and just how to process other than just reacting yeah. because reacting just has like a surface level of how you feel because feelings take time. I love that you found your way of expressing that. I found my way to some degree. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to articulate it so well yet. It was still so confusing for me. And then I also, you know, started doing the practice of authentic movement at the age of 22. So I knew that I wasn't going to be a person who would sit on a cushion and meditate that way. That was never my path. I needed to move. I've hiked for years the same trails here in Boulder. That's another way that I do it. And so movement Mm. and the practice of authentic movement blew my mind at the age of 22. And I just remember, you know, I did it with Janice Beard Bull and we would sit, you know, in a group for a few moments and check in share how we were doing and then we, we would go off into the space and you mm-hmm. could be standing or sitting or lying down on the ground and then all you had to do was allow yourself to quiet slow down your mind and access the movement the sensations into impulse or the impulse into sensation into movement and yeah. sometimes sound yeah 
it was something that I did for a full decade okay. as much as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And that really is the foundation and base for so much of uh, my life and my teaching. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah. And I'll just say one moment that was really significant was lying on the floor. And my very first authentic moving teacher was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I remember her, she kept stopping me and saying, like, stop dancing and performing and stop showing me how good of a dancer you are. That's not what this is. Start over. And she was trying to teach me how just to even just to really listen and not to perform and Mm. just to listen to maybe I just want to move my finger right now. Maybe I just want to move in circles, you know, just to start again. It wasn't about performing and showing how good of a dancer. That's not what this practice was. I like hearing that. That takes some like skilled teaching to see that the fact that, wait a minute, you are still performing for me. Just right. show me your authentic movement in this time. You don't have to perform for anybody other than yourself. So yeah. it sounds like you took so much beauty and passion from this therapeutic sort of approach to psychology of the body movement. How does it showcase in your life at this moment? Like, what is the work you're doing? I'm really excited because ultimately, yeah, ultimately you're a um, financial therapist, as you call it. How does the education you received in the contemplative model of the somatic psychology program showcase itself in the financial world for you? Okay. So I just have to back up and say, you know, I, In my 20s, this is what I did day in and day out. I was at Naropa Mm -hmm. doing the graduate program. Uh, We had internships. I was working in hospice. I was doing overnight care with people that were dying. I was leading bereavement groups because that was the water that I was personally swimming in during that time and wanted to be with other people who were in that water as well. I was in authentic movement groups being trained in it. I was leading these groups. I mean, this is what I was steeped in, in my twenties. I really thought that I would leave Naropa and become a therapist at some point. Mm -hmm. And my topics would be sexuality, intimacy, grief, death, body. That's what I thought my topics were going to be. (laughs) I really want to work with couples and I was doing a lot of my own research around intimacy and mm-hmm. at that time. And then my the school loan came due at the age of 28. And that was the epiphany for me. That was the, oh my God, how am I going to pay this back? Yeah. What is my relationship to money? Mm. How did Naropa and my incredible education at Naropa that taught me how to be a human, how to be in this world, how to have deeper relationships, Mm -hmm. how to communicate, how to listen to my body. I learned all of that, which I'm incredibly grateful for Uh and and influences everything, which I'll talk about, you know. But the missing piece in my education at Naropa and in my life was anything to do with the topic of money Mm. and bookkeeping and finances. Mm -hmm. And it was completely left out. And it, it took the student loan coming due to have me realize that, you know? And so I either thought, well, uh, I can go like running, screaming away from this and leave the country and travel as a nomad forever. That's a good idea. That's a good option. You know, why not? (laughs) I like to present myself with different options Uh or I can face this as a topic, research it on every level, practically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, just like I have done every other topic in my life that yeah. I'm scared of, afraid of, that mm. feels like a shadow or a missing piece, and I'm going to face it head on. 
I like that. So I started learning bookkeeping. I mean, there were a few things when I was working in the mental health field where I took on some hours in a back room. I started, they taught me the bookkeeping at the mental health center. They taught me how to do Quicken and Excel. And it was like the light bulbs were going on. The other side of my brain was being activated. I was like, oh my God, I can do this because I wasn't Mm. good at math growing up. And so I had equated if I'm not good at math, I'm not good at money. If I'm not good at math, I can never learn a bookkeeping Do you feel like that's a recurring story in a lot of people where they're like, I'm not good at math, so therefore money just doesn't come to me? For some yeah. For some, okay. certainly. So when I was able to learn Quicken and QuickBooks and someone held my hand and I always <laughs> say I had a box of tissue. Just in case. Just No, there were crying breaks okay. and lots of dark chocolate along mm. the way. Like those two things were essential. Yeah. So much handholding. It took me many months to learn QuickBooks yeah. and to feel comfortable and to feel confident. Mm-hmm. And it was so mind-blowing and empowering for me. And then I wound up having a bookkeeping business for a few years as a transition because I felt too young to be a therapist. Between 28 to 32, I felt too young. What was fascinating, Mm. though, is that people of all ages threw their books at me. I had artists and therapists Mm. and coaches and contractors They had no idea I even had a master's in psychology. They just threw their bookkeeping at me. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And they wanted someone to do this for them. So I learned so much about how people make their money, how people spend their money, what are their values, what's important to them. I feel like I was learning more in that time than if I was doing private therapy session. Wow. So other than just approaching it with the mindset of I'm doing books, I'm writing numbers down, I'm going to make sure you're balanced. You're also approaching it as in like, wow, this person's making money this way. What is it that they did in their life to get there? So you're using your psychological mind to kind of break down what people are doing yeah. other than just being like, this is my job. I write down numbers. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, I was trained as a therapist, so totally. you know, that's not going to turn off. Yeah. And like after that. a few years of doing that, I learned so much. Uh-huh. Then it was time for me to integrate all of my past training, all of the deep work, all of the space holding that I naturally do. It's what I naturally do with these new skill sets around bookkeeping and money management and the language of money Mm -hmm. that surprised the hell out of me, you know, (laughs) and putting them together. And that was 18 years ago. And that was a moment when I had left Boulder. I had moved to Sebastopol, California. Mm -hmm to do a deeper training in authentic movement. And pretty quickly I realized it was time to integrate these two fields, had a mentor come into my life who saw what I was doing and boom, there's lots of synchronistic things that happen at that time. Uh And she basically said, it's time for you to teach and I'm gonna bring 20 or 30 people together in a room so come up with your methodology. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and, and that was a whole moment. And oh, that was wow. 18 years ago. That's awesome. Okay. okay. Very cool. <laughs> so how did you get from there yeah. to now? Because yeah. what would you say you do now? So 18 years later, I now am a financial therapist mm-hmm. who teaches a year-long program okay. in my Art of Money methodology that I've been teaching. Okay. And this is a process, a program that in which you create. There's okay. Let me back up for a moment. Okay. So, and just say that when 
Tamara Slayton, who is my mentor. Okay. She passed away a long time ago. I, I was with her the last two years of her mm. life in Sebastopol. Yeah. And when she said to me, it's time for you to teach, you know, that was when I realized I need to go out into the woods, which is where yeah. or go on a hike or, yeah, you know, yeah. it was pretty flat trail there compared to Boulder. And I yeah. missed my Boulder trails every single day, but uh-huh. I would go into the woods and say, what am I supposed to bring back? You know, initially... I thought I was the only one with money shame or the only one with money issues or the only one who didn't learn this. Why me? Yeah, why? Just, just, <laughs> I'm the only one, you know? Yeah. And pretty quickly I started looking around, realizing that people from all different communities, from all different economic classes, from all different race and lineages, yeah. at all different income levels now had strengths around money, had challenges around money, had some shame, had some missing pieces. You know, most of us did not receive a financial education from grade school and up in small increments. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) when I went out into the woods, I said, what am I supposed to bring back, you know, to help people have a healthy, conscious, these are my words at that time, you know, healthy, conscious, empowered relationship to money. I came back with these three phases. I was living in a 350, 400 square foot cabin in the woods with my husband. Nice. And he immediately threw up white paper and we started brainstorming and clarifying these three phases. At the time, they were financial therapy, values-based bookkeeping, and life life visioning or something like that. I'm not Mm. remembering. And I started teaching them in small groups of 10 people over and over and over with my little handouts and my little living room in the apple orchard in Sebastopol, (laughs) California. And I did this over and over and over. Yeah. I love the breakdown of those three to look at a relationship issue that you might be having once you discover you might have an issue. It's multifaceted. And the fact that you break it down in such a way that feels more digestible, it feels like, oh, wait, I don't have to work on everything at once. I can work on one thing at a time, develop this skill and then move on to the next. So I really like how you were able to dissect them in such a way that empowers people to move forward in that. And then it's even, you know, broken down into smaller boxes or categorizing it, you know, so now it's money healing is the first phase. Okay. Money practices is the second Mm. and money maps is a third. You know, I used to teach this in six week groups, which blows my mind or weekend (laughs) workshops, you know, because now it's a year long program. And yes, it used to be tiny groups that I taught over and over and over. But in that Mm. every group, I learned something new. I learned, oh, I left out a piece around forgiveness. How did I do that? That needs to be added in or, oh, this is working. This is not, or you know, and just kept creating more handouts and more exercises. And now I teach a year-long version of it with Uh folks from all over the world and had over 500 students in 2018. And every year we grow a little bit. Okay. And it's four months of money healing and four months of money practices and four months Mm. of money maps. And so it's an entire year where I'm taking people through exercises and handouts and then there's community support. I wanted to teach in groups right away from day one. Mm -hmm. For so many reasons. One, I wanted us to see we're not alone in these issues. You know, as you we're know, not alone. we're not alone. We're not alone. <laughs> we're not alone. It's true. We're not alone. Yeah. And that, no matter again what background you come from, mm-hmm. 
you have things that you're doing well around money, you have challenges around money, you have shame. And most of us just did not receive a complete financial education. Yeah, and sometimes you necessarily don't know. You've been conditioned in such a way that you might not know you have a certain perspective of a relationship. Yes. And we have so many biases and judgments and fears and, you know, the entire emotional spectrum comes up around money, which I'd love to speak about how to work with that. So being in groups is everything from seeing people from different backgrounds and realizing, oh, yes, even the folks who come from the wealthy background have money issues or Mm. have issues in life. And we immediately assume, oh, if they have money, they should have no issues. What issues can they have? Right. And that was my biggest thing (laughs) in Europa was half the students were having their graduate school paid for. The other half of us, that was when my parents and I kind of cut off our financial relationship yeah. and They're I was like, on my own. We got your BA. I got, we got your BA, you're done. That's uh-huh. it. And also you're doing something that we have no clue. We do not understand what you're doing. Yeah. We wanted you to go to Japan and teach English and come back speaking Japanese fluently and work in business with us. What you know? So you're on your own and I <laughs> Thanks, wanted Mom. to be on your own. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> my mom didn't have those kind of conditions. So it was never talked about in Europa. You know, you have people taking out student loans, the challenge of that, the fear of that, and then the other half having it paid for. So again, no matter what background, I wanted people in the room just to start to see, learn from each other. Sometimes we came from a completely different backgrounds, but mm. the way we were interacting with money, felt about money, thought about money was the same. And that was mind blowing. And so I had my own biases and judgments and all of that. Uh And I was proven wrong over and over and over and over. And so 18 years later, there's no story that I haven't heard at this point. I mean, I've heard so many different versions Mm -hmm. of what we learned from our families growing up, what we didn't learn, what we're rebelling against. So groups for me represent so much. We, we learn that we're not alone. We unshame so many things that were have just been filled with shame. Mm-hmm. So many money stories, money behaviors, money patterns. And then we just come together and get to support each other and and so on, you know, and so yeah. on and so on. Yeah. What do you think some of the holdups are for people? Like what is it through the conditioning that we have and or our upbringing and or our situations that we are around What are some of the similar stories that you hear from people? This is always challenging for me because I've heard thousands and thousands of stories, right? So teaching in small groups of 10 people for years, and then that led to 20 person groups and then 50. And now for seven years now, I've been teaching this year long and we've had, you know, hundreds of students each year. But here I can tell a few stories and we'll just see. So because I never know how to say, what are the most, one of the most common blocks? You know, I don't yeah. think that way and I don't retain stories and information that way. Okay. I'm really good at working with people live in the moment when they bring me an issue and they bring me a concern or a yeah. stuck place and Ooh, I, I, work, like that. I work with them. Yeah. You know, so my favorite thing is monthly, we have a group call, it's two hours mm-hmm. and I never know what the themes are. I never know what the questions are going to be and people just... You know, I have 10 people each call, let's say, and they'll ask me a question. I work with them live. Here's a few stories. So I worked with a couple and he came from a traditional financial background. So he, I don't know if he got his MBA or accounting degree and she didn't. And he kept showing up in their so-called money dates. That's one of my favorite things is I teach people how to have money dates, which can be 
five minutes a day at the beginning. It could mm-hmm. be 15 minutes every few days. It Is could, that just a conversation with your person? Well, it could be a money date that you do alone. Okay. You know, we're so not all partnered, alone. right? It could be sitting down, lighting your candles, nibbling on your dark chocolate. Yeah, drinking some tea. Drinking some tea. Checking you know, out your finances. And sitting down and checking out your finances. Do you need yeah. to go online and check your balances? Uh-huh. Do you need to reach out and hire a new bookkeeping trainer to show you how to use Mint or YNAB or Quicken or QuickBooks? Okay. Right. I like that. It's anything to do with money. It could be checking in with your body, which we need to talk about the body check-in. It's just anything on a practical, emotional, psychological, or spiritual level. What needs attention in this moment? Okay, that's a money date. And again, it could start out five minutes a day. It could be 30 minutes twice a week, right? We need to usually do it more often at the beginning to create the patterns, to create the new grooves, to create Mm -hmm. the new habits, some of us just ignore money completely. Some of us pay attention like to it. Like scared to look at it. Oh, many almost. of us are terrified. Yeah. Half the people that come to me are terrified to look at their numbers, um, do not have any kind of tracking or bookkeeping system in place. It's okay. probably more than half. Okay. Why are we afraid? We're afraid of what we're going to see. Some people get in there and realize they're making more money than they thought. That surprises them. Mm. That's exciting. They're That's, probably spending more than they thought too. There's that. Some people yeah. are afraid to look because they feel they'll see that they're hemorrhaging, you know? Yeah. We need to see that though. Whatever it is, we really mm-hmm. need to see what it is. But there's so much fear. Let me back up. Okay. And talk about a body check-in because it's a really concrete tool and then I can move more into stories and we'll move into other things. Okay. When people say to me, what is the very first tool that you give to me? Is it, you know, learning a bookkeeping system so you know your numbers? Is it doing a budget? I say, those are all great things. We're going to get to them. But number one is the body check-in. And yes, this comes... Not something you normally hear when it comes Hmm. to finances. Right. (laughs) And for me, there was no way that I was going to have a relationship to money without this tool. Yeah. And yes, this comes from my Naropa training. It comes from my somatic training. Mm -hmm. I have brought many tools, but this is my favorite. So if I was going to create a methodology, if I was going to have my own relationship to money, this was step one. Okay. Step one is checking in with your body. It's taking a few moments to stop and pause It could be 30 seconds, it could be five minutes, and it could be closing your eyes, and it's asking yourself to check in on a physical level, what's going on, are your shoulders up to your ears, are they down, what are you noticing, you don't need to change a thing, does this sound familiar, does this, (laughs) sound like I'm in school again, exactly, yeah, totally, so checking on a physical level, that's the first layer, yeah, second layer is, What are the sensations in your body? So where is their movement? Where is their stillness? Where is their twitching? Where is their tightness? Just noticing, letting yourself Mm -hmm. notice on a sensation level. Yeah. The next level is the emotions. And it's the entire spectrum that comes up in all the other big areas of life, you know, around sexuality and food and body Mm -hmm. and intimacy and grief. And this was something that kind of blew my mind and seems to surprise other people too. The same emotions that come up in life come up around money as well. Yeah. And it could be everything from I'm really anxious. I get really anxious around money. I'm really afraid of this area of life to actually this area of life really pisses me off and I'm so angry that I have to deal with it. I just want someone else to take care of this part of life for me. I hate this mundane, practical, these systems and taxes and I hate it, you know, to 
I get really sad. Some of my needs as a child were not met. I'm still waiting for them to be met. And somehow that plays out in my relationship to money. Yeah, it's around getting needs met. I just feel really sad, Mm -hmm. you know, that I'm not being taken care of or someone's not taking care of this for me. I have to do this for myself, you know, to I just check out, I get numb, I want to fall asleep, this is so boring, you know, to joy, to excitement, to there, how can I learn how to integrate my values with my skill sets, with work that I really love and bring that to the marketplace yeah. and get paid well? And, you know, uh-huh. I had no clue how to do that when I was younger. And that was a whole journey to figure that out. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be exciting or just there's, it's the full spectrum. Yep. So this level is checking in. What is the emotion? What are the feelings? What are the set of the emotions? Do the same ones come up all the time for you? Mm-hmm. Do different ones come up in different moments, different situations? Yeah. Okay. So this is that level. Okay. Then the last level is just checking in with your breathing. How deep is your breath? How shallow? Where is it in your body? Is it being held more in your throat? Or is it down in your chest? Or is it down even in your solar plexus or your belly? And it's different every time you check in. and. Yeah. So, and then I always like to end a body check-in with, is there one little adjustment that I can make? Can I lower Mm. my shoulders and do a little shimmy? Can I take a deeper breath in my belly? Can I get my breath deeper into my body? Can I make sure that the soles of my feet are on the floor? Can Mm -hmm. I, there's no right way how to do this. This is a practice. And it's not like one day you're going to figure out this body check-in and be done with it, you know? And sometimes, okay, let me slow down for a second. I love the body check-in. And a body check-in is to be practiced and to be brought to all the daily money interactions when you're going to go online and look at your numbers, when you're about to have a money conversation. Yeah, it seems like there's a regulation of the body, of the mind, before you go into something that might promote stress, so it's like you are showing up in such a way that is able to see what is in yes. the moment. And I really like that because you don't hear that very often. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, just go look at your bank account. Right. You're not like, take a breath, take a moment, then go look at it. So you're not reacting. You are able to be skillful in the decisions you are about to make and or see. Well, you know, that the tough love, the just snap out of it. Just do it. For me, when I went to go look for financial help or guidance or and I started researching, there was so much traditional money management out there. It was usually older yeah. white males and mm-hmm. they all were saying the same thing, which is important information about paying down debt and investing. And yeah. but I was like, Okay, where's the body? Where are the emotions? And but the body check in it's very surface yeah. and it's for me it's very tough love, you know. And I think in moments it is just masculine. sit down. It's masculine, which, you know, there's a place for that. There's a place for the discipline and sitting yourself down to have a money date. And, Mm -hmm. but then I bring in all the spray, the oil spritzers and get the dark chocolate and light the candles. Where's the geranium at? Exactly. Lavender. Whatever your thing is. (laughs) For me, it's lavender too. Yeah. And so, but the body check-in is something to be practiced. And it's not like immediately you're going to calm yourself down and be like, oh, this is great. I'm calm now. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. It's what are the set of emotions and sensations and breathing that your body does. Okay. How can you start to learn, gather information? It's all helping you understand what happens in the moment. Eventually learn how to self-regulate in the moment, but it's eventually giving you more information about what is your money story? What are your patterns? What's working? 
The other thing is that a body check-in is not done just before. Body check-ins can happen in the heat of the moment when you're having the intense money conversation with your spouse and suddenly you're freaking out or you're just like swearing like crazy or just want, you know, or crying and need to run off and take a break or all the above. It's in the moment. What's going on? Body check-in, you know. There's also body check-in after, you know, after you're at the grocery store, after you're at the mall, after you bought a car. At the car dealership, you know, I tell a whole story about that where we're in the car dealership and I'm starting to feel anxious, really anxious and starting to hyperventilate. Mm -hmm. At this time, I didn't like big money decisions and I did not like to make them fast. And so in the car dealership, I noticed I was starting to hyperventilate and I was like, body check in, ran to the bathroom, which is a great place to do them. Mm was able to calm myself down because I've been doing body check-ins for so long yeah. and then go, oh, I know what I need to do now. I need to come out and have a money date with my husband in the car dealership where we can ask a series of questions like, do we have the cash flow for this? Is this type of car, it was an ele- our first little electric leaf car, is it in alignment with our values? Yes. Will this impact our larger goal of buying a home one day? And just having a money date and going through our series of questions. I like that. But then afterwards, after we leave the car dealership with the car, with not the car, and then evaluating how did that money decision go? How do I feel now? Mm. And so on. So the body check-in is before, during, and after. You know, as many moments as you can remember it such a good approach to develop a practice that can regulate your money is so triggering of emotions. And if you are able to somewhat control your emotions, then you are able to control your money a bit better. So I really see that as a, like a really good route. What are other, some practices that you would add to once the body practice is kind of developed and integrated into the process? You know, there is the books that you can manage, but is it just writing down your income, writing down your outcome? Okay, great. And I'll just say, you said control your emotions and a lot of people want to control their relationship to money or be in control, you know? That's a word, I, one word I've heard over the years. Yeah. I don't know if it's so much controlling your emotions because it's not like one day they're just going to go away, totally. right? Although we would like them to in moments sometimes, but it's learning how to be in relationship with them, yeah, right? It's learning go. how to pause, catch them in the moment so it's not fully overwhelming you, mm-hmm. naming what they are, mm. feeling them, working with them in the moment, and then going into the practical, you yeah, know? Yeah. So I just wanted to say that. I like um, that. Thank you. And they diminish over time, but it's all about learning how to have a relationship with them. If you're a sensitive being, you're going to have emotions and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that, right? Oops, sorry. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> just wanted to clarify that. We're all sensitive that. here. We are. Just having like an expression of it, you know, I love yes. it. Yeah. yeah, in the bathroom or wherever it needs to be. <laughs> so next is, I mean, there's layers to understanding what the set of emotions are, doing work around family of origin, Mm -hmm. you know, what did you learn from your family? Who was raising you? How were they raised? How were they raised? Where is it coming from? I I like to go pretty far back. I like to go to grandparents or, you know, my grandparents all escaped Russia, which is now Ukraine. And what was that story? And what did they have to leave behind and begin again? And are you an immigrant and first generation or second and were your parents entrepreneurs and on and on and on. 
most of them did not receive a healthy financial education. So they have their own missing pieces and they don't know what to teach us or, you know, they have their own biases and all that. So again, we learned some things well. There are many things we didn't learn well. Mm -hmm. That's an important piece of this is to even seeing as siblings that, you know, I came from a family of three we all do money differently, even though we are raised by the same people, you know, one was a spender, one was a saver, one was, you know, that's always, so there's a lot of work Mm. to be done. I don't want you to get stuck there, but I do like to go back a bit to understand that. And then to notice where in your life needs forgiveness, you know, forgiveness for you, for your parents, for, there's so much work there. Okay. Yeah. That's the whole money healing phase. The next phase is all the practical stuff. Mm -hmm. And some people say, do I need to finish the first part? Do I need to be healed? No, it's a lifelong journey. Yeah, Yeah, It's not like you're done with your money healing work and then we're ready for the practical. Some people need to have the practical side by side when they're doing some of the deeper work. Yeah, They like to be learning Quicken or QuickBooks. They like to be doing something. They like to be taking action, you know? Other people in my year-long program, they don't want to, get to the practical yet they want many months of doing some of the deeper work so that by the time they get to the practical they're much more ready they're much more aware of what their stories are their strengths their challenges foundation is solid and ready to go and they have the tools they have that body check and another Mm -hmm. tool so when they sit down for a money date if they freak out or need to go take a break or Mm -hmm. having a strong feeling they can work with it yes right and so it still may be scary, you know, to learn a bookkeeping system. But the next step, the next step for me is learning a tracking tool. And whether okay. you are someone like my husband who one night taught himself Mint and taught himself iBank in yeah. just a couple of hours. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like that's okay. You know, that's the easy part for him. Yeah. You know, he's, he's on a, your team too. He's, so he's on my team too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We each have our different strengths and challenges around uh-huh. money. He could train himself like that. I, as I had mentioned earlier, needed many months. I needed a trainer. I needed a box of tissue. Yeah. I needed dark chocolate. But it's so important to whether you teach yourself, whether you got a trainer, is to learn a bookkeeping system okay. or learn a tracking tool. There are lots of apps. I'm not as familiar with the apps, but there's all that. Learn, Start to learn what your numbers are. Um, start to befriend them. Start to yeah. familiarize yourself yeah. with what's coming in, what's going out. What are the patterns? There's always patterns. Collect the data. Yes. Get a version of what the actuality is. Yep. And then start to make a plan, it sounds like. Well, then you can make a plan, right? You can't really guess. Well, lots of people do. We all, I used to. I mean, in graduate school, my bank statements would come and they'd go right into the trash. I didn't know what to do with them. I was like, what is this? You know, and I didn't want to deal with it. Uh So, and we're just scared. We're just scared to look because we do make meaning out of it. It does tell stories, right? And again, it's not like the emotions are going to completely go away, but they can diminish and you can befriend it. And a lot of people say, well, if the numbers are so small, why should I look at them? Or I do, um, what do they call it? Not imaginary bookkeeping. Uh, They do bookkeeping in their mind. You know, and it's worked. Some people feel like if I look at the numbers, then my flow is going to stop. You know, Mm, you know, I've seen the rare person who I met in Europa years ago, a dear old friend. Mm -hmm. He didn't need to do bookkeeping. It came, it went. That is really unusual. Trust. Right. And trust is beautiful. But most of us, I love the trust and I love all of those deeper practices, Uh but I also love the numbers. And when I started learning the numbers, my stress decreased tremendously I then knew what was there what was not I wasn't playing games anymore yeah 
I like that. And then from there, I could also start to plan or vision, mm-hmm. which I wasn't able to do before. And then I started playing around the numbers. And it was everything from, what's my money ceiling? And in graduate mm-hmm. school, you know, I was making $11 an hour. Yep. And had never gone beyond that. Did not know how, you know, yeah. even when I got the master's degree and went back to the mental health field job I was working, it was like, I got the master's degree now, let's bump me up. They're like, nope, you don't have enough points. And that infuriated yeah. me. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. And then I thought for a moment, ooh, I'm going to become an advocate for all the social workers and counselors and therapists. Uh-huh. And I had a moment. <laughs> and then I realized that's actually not who I am. That's not my skill set. Yeah. Grateful yeah. for other people who are activists and do that. I chose to go at it a different way. And I started going, how can I move past this money ceiling of $11 an hour? And that was actually when I took the detour and got the first accounting job at Rudy's Organic Bakery. And they offered me 13 an hour and then bumped me up to 15. And then I was taught QuickBooks and the contractor said, I'll pay you 20. And once you learn in a few months, I'll bump you up to 25. Nice. So for me, starting to see what your numbers actually are and track them, Mm -hmm. then you can start to see what is your money ceiling? Do you want to move beyond that? Why? What will you be doing with that money? And essentially by knowing your money ceiling, it actually will make more money for you because you won't have overdraft fees. You actually know what's happening. You know the numbers in your bank account. And we all have money leaks. You know, I call those money leaks, the overdraft. When you start looking, you start to see that Netflix charge, maybe you're using it or the gym charge, maybe you're not. You start to see, Ooh, there was an, an overcharge or mistake here. And we all have that. We, some people feel so much shame around that Mm. but if you're not looking that's going to happen but if you just are brave enough you know to start looking then you can start to see so tracking is so important and it take it can take months to learn you Mm -hmm. might need a hand holder but that's when you can start to see what are the patterns like what's working what's not and then you start moving into what i call the money maps okay But in the practical, I needed to add in other things to make it fun, to make it more creative, to make it more engaging. And 18 years ago, one of the first things I said was, how do we add in the values? Because I had read a book by Gloria Steinem where she starts, like in the middle of the book, it came out of nowhere. All of a sudden she was like, what if one day if I was just walking across the street and all of a sudden I got hit by a car and I was down on the ground and everyone who saw it started running over to me to see if I was okay. And they grabbed my purse and they started looking in my purse to see who I was. And they opened up my checkbook and they started seeing like, what's important to me? Who am I? By looking at my checkbook. It was this whole little, like, I I don't know what it was. It was just like out of nowhere in the middle of the book. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're talking (laughs) about values and money and what's important to people. And will people know what's important to you by the way that you earn and spend your money? And mine was blown. So when I started... Mm creating what I now call out of money and I used to call conscious bookkeeping. Everyone was doing values-based financial planning and they Mm -hmm. wanted you to invest in alignment with your values. And I was like, what about your bookkeeping? I want to see what's important to you in your chart of accounts and in your bookkeeping. And so (laughs) from the beginning, I was like, how am I going to make this seemingly boring and dry mundane thing called bookkeeping more interesting and more creative? Mm -hmm. And so... I would have people rename their categories according to their values. And renaming things may not seem like such a big deal. It's like, it's just a name. But I think there's power and there's intention and there's creativity. There's certain resonance to what people 
are hearing. And so they're like, Ooh, I resonate with that. What is that? Yes. And it goes deeper than that. It's also, um, here are a few examples. So at the beginning I was like, how do you rename rent or mortgage? You don't go so deep there, but people would come up with home or sanctuary or love shack. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, that could change it. So instead of like, I'm sending money over to my damn rent, you know, it's like, wait a second. Yeah. Does this feel good? Does it feel like home? Does it feel like a sanctuary? Mm. Two more examples. I was working with someone and she was heading into her thirties and creativity was becoming so important to her. She was working in the finance field and f- feeling somewhat bored with that. And so she wanted to start taking theater classes again. It had always been her dream to be in plays. And, and so we looked at her numbers and we're like, there's nothing here for creativity. So she created a category for creativity and under that had theater classes and dance classes. She started tracking her numbers and it kept being zero. We would print out the report and it would be zero next to creativity. And that went on for six months. And finally, then the six months, she was like, that's it. Like, I'm not living in accordance with my value. Like, I'm not walking my talk. This is so important to me, and I'm not spending money in this way. And then she signed up for that theater class, and she Mm -hmm. signed up for the dance classes, and then she was in Miss Saigon, and she was in Vagina Monologues, and it made such a difference in the quality of her life. And that was simply by adding in a category called creativity. Yeah. I'm going to – one more example. I love it. you got to make space for it. I like that. Yeah. So this is about a debt – because we usually are like that damn debt or that mm-hmm. terrifying debt totally. or that time in my life and we feel shame around it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so instead of that debt Bank of America, you know, where we're afraid to look at even the number, let alone come up with a payment plan. And, mm-hmm. you know, I worked with someone and she had a debt. And so we sat down. And I said, so what time of your life was this? What was going on for you? Was this the transition phase? Because in mm-hmm. a long life, we're all going to have like things going well and then yeah. life's going to happen, you yeah. know? And whether we're intentionally transitioning, like leaving a corporate job to start our own business, having baby number one, two, mm-hmm. having health issues, you know, yeah. being in a spiritual crisis, you know. Things come up. Think life happens, yep. right? So what was this for you? For her, it happened to be a whole journey to Italy that changed the course of her life, changed who she was. So this wasn't such a huge thing, but this is what the debt was. Yeah. And so she renamed it's like my big Italian, you know, experience or journey <laughs> that changed the course of my life. And then suddenly the energy shifted and she was able to sit down and look at how much the debt was without being terrified. Mm. She was able to come up with a monthly payment plan that seemed reasonable based on what the finance charge was. Yeah. And so on. She was able to form a relationship and honor this time of her life, what it really was, what it gave her, rename it. Then she was able to repay it. One last one about debt. I worked with a guy who was an accountant, so comes from traditional accounting, had never heard of this value-based renaming category thing, thought it was like really (laughs) out there. Uh But they had a lot of debt because his wife had gone through cancer Mm. and survived cancer. Okay. And so he renamed their debt to something like, I have more time with my wife. Yeah. And um, <laughs> my wife, you know, wow. uh, just... It's beautiful. Yeah. She's alive. She made it through. Yeah. We have more time. To, we have more life together. Oh. And he said, just renaming it made such a difference in his 
relationship, his experience, his feeling about wow. paying that down and paying that back. And okay, so this is where, you know, 18 years ago, I was like, how can I make this more creative for folks? Uh-huh. How can it make it have more meaning, deeper meaning? Yeah. How can I have it be more playful for folks? The values-based renaming covers all of that in different moments, depending on if we're talking about renaming mm. an expense, a debt care category, and so on. Oh my God, it's so good. I actually do see a lot of potential within renaming things because then your relationship to the thing that you are renaming is also going to shift. So that's what it feels like you're doing is to shift the relationship to something that you feel like the relationship isn't as good as it could be is to shift the way you look at the thing. And therefore the relationship is inherently going to change too. So instead of like my school dead, I can call it like my empowering moment of becoming educated in a field that I felt resonating with at that time, other than calling it school debt, Yep. you know? Yeah. So it, it just feels really beautiful to be able to understand relationship shifts and we are empowered to shift them ourselves once we have the tools and the techniques to learn how to do it. And you are helping people do that. We only have like a couple minutes left. You just like blown through it. I love it so much. And I feel like you're giving us so much information to focus on. I would just love for you to shout out your book and maybe also your website and maybe your how people can follow you. Because I feel like some people might want to go deeper with you and, and maybe follow you and understand what's going on here. So can you just tell them how to reach you? Sure. So uh, first, my book, The Art of Money, A okay. Life-Changing Guide it's a to Financial Happiness. beautiful book. I'm staring at it right Thank now. <laughs> I'm on the cover. That wasn't the original There's plan. There's no chocolate on the cover. It's true. True. Just tea, true. No just tea or a mocha, you know. <laughs> yeah, there was no dark chocolate in that. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to be on the cover. The design was not working over and over and over. Ah. And finally, they said, hey, what do you think about being in the cover? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then anyway, it, yeah. it, it worked out. It's right. So nice. this book came out two and a half years ago and it's my entire methodology in this almost 300 page book so I go through the money healing money practices money maps in detail as you've seen my tools and practices are very simple yet they're pretty profound when practiced and they can go pretty deep and also the book there's a lot of storytelling because I really read nonfiction. I okay. read novels and memoirs. So memoirs are nonfiction, but like I love stories. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stories of how I walk this talk in my own life, my own journey, me and my husband. Now we have a 10 year old. So mm-hmm. money in that, you know, in real life. And then also stories from the community, from people from all different economic backgrounds. Okay. Um, so it's filled with stories and it's filled with all the tools. Yeah. Okay? So that, that happened two and a half years ago, which was a lifelong dream yeah. to be published and to have that out. And there Maybe as a second book on the table. <laughs> Maybe. Hey. We'll see. All right. I have other projects too. So you can find me at barrytesler.com, which is B-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-L-E-R. Okay. I have a great blog. I give a lot of free content every two weeks. Mm-hmm. There's a new article and or podcast interview. Oh, hey. Um, so yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot going on on the site as far as content 
What else? Social media, my favorites are Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Weren't you recently on a cover of a yes. magazine? <laughs> I was. I was. I was. So that was fun. I was on the cover of Mindful Magazine, mm-hmm. and that came out just a few months ago and was in Whole Foods across the country. And was it August or October? It came out in August, but it was the September-October issue. Okay. At that it's right well. there. It's right yeah, there. I know we're in my office, so we have my book and my Super magazine cool. everywhere. That was really fun. It was great to be on the cover, but there's a 10-page spread of yeah. my work inside, and it's a book excerpt. And, wow. And the design that they did was- 10 pages. 10 pages. I know. You are the magazine. It was the best media exposure and experience I've ever Super had in cool. 18 Congrats. years. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And I've been to your website and you do have a lot of free content. You do have a lot of different types of free content. It's not just like one route. There's a lot of different sort of variations you can scroll through. Cause I, when I was researching, you know, I was just looking through it all and I'm like, there's a lot of stuff here. Jeez. There's stuff on being a mompreneur. There's stuff on being a creativepreneur. There's stuff on the money maps and the money practices and couples and money and so on. Yeah. yeah. This is a never ending <laughs> interest for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start having some money dates with myself. I sort of do it. I do it old school. I take like a little rip piece of paper off of a bill that I'm supposed to pay. And I just start writing down all the numbers. I like doing the arithmetic. I like actually writing the math out. There's something aesthetically pleasing about that. I don't know. You do my husband's old school version. He doesn't do that anymore. But uh, before he learned the mint, years ago when I first met him, he would get out a ripped piece of paper and write out what's coming in mm-hmm. and his expenses, you know, yeah. and that's how he did it. There's no right way. There's no perfect system. There's no what's the best intuitive system, whatever system you're using. Yes. That's what works. That's the yeah. working system. So yeah. just finding a method that you like to use, but showing all methods and maybe trying them all out trying a few you know and if mm-hmm. you want, i mean that might work what you're doing or if you want to update it or upgrade it which every year we can you know yeah then maybe you explore one of those other systems and see yeah how it feels and see what changes yeah, and, yeah. Oh, man, it was so wonderful speaking with you. I love hearing your enthusiasm. I love hearing all the the stories and also the perspectives of how to advance yourself within developing your relationship, developing your money, developing a watchful heart of noticing what is actually happening and not being so afraid of it to empower yourself, to empower your lover, your partner, your family, your relationships to everything. I I love how it's all inclusive and it's very diverse and it's not just this one little facet that's over here and I don't like to look at it every now and again on other than when I have to. Yeah. It's about money. It's not about money. And everything from Naropa, you know, everything that I was steeped in, as you can clearly see, has influenced my financial therapy work, my art and money work, my life, my marriage, my yes. parenting, you know, that was such an incredible fun foundation that mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for. And it just had some missing pieces that threw me on this other trail that became my life's work. Destiny. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your tricks and tips and just your wonderful self and your soul and your heart with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So I'd like to thank Barry Tesler for joining me on the podcast today. She is a financial therapist, a mamapreneur, and she is also the founder of The Art of Money. And she also wrote the book Art of Money as well. So thank you again for speaking with me. 
On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.